Letter thirty one of Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume seven by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty one. Mr. Belford, in continuation. You will imagine how affecting her noble speech and behaviour were to me at the time when the bear recollecting and transcribing them obliged me to drop my pen the women had tears in their eyes i was silent for a few moments at last matchless excellence inimitable goodness i called her with a voice so accented that i was half ashamed of myself as it was before the women but who could stand such sublime generosity of soul in so young a creature her loveliness giving grace to all she said methinks said i and i really in a manner involuntarily bent my knee i have before me an angel indeed i can hardly forbear prostration and to beg your influence to draw me after you to the world you are aspiring to yet but what shall i say only dearest excellence make me in some small instances serviceable to you that i may if i survive you have the glory to think i was able to contribute to your satisfaction while among us here i stopped she was silent i proceeded have you no commission to employ me in deserted as you are by all your friends among strangers though i doubt not worthy people cannot i be serviceable by message by letter-writing by attending personally with either message or letter your father your uncles your brother your sister miss howe lord m or the ladies his sisters any office to be employed to serve you absolutely independent of my friend's wishes or of my own wishes to oblige him think madam if i cannot i thank you sir very heartily i thank you but in nothing that i can at present think of or at least resolve upon can you do me service i will see what return the letter i have written will bring me till then my life and my fortune interrupted i are devoted to your service permit me to observe that here you are without one natural friend and so much do i know of your unhappy case that you must be in a manner destitute of the means to make friends she was going to interrupt me with a prohibitory kind of earnestness in her manner i beg leave to proceed madam i have cast about twenty ways how to mention this before but never dared till now suffer me now that i have broken the ice to tender myself as your banker only i know you will not be obliged you need not you have sufficient of your own if it were in your hands and from that whether you live or die will i consent to be reimbursed i do assure you that the unhappy man shall never know either my offer or your acceptance only permit me this small and down behind her chair dropped a bank-note of a hundred pounds which i had brought with me intending somehow or other to leave it behind me nor shouldst thou ever have known it had she favoured me with the acceptance of it as i told her you give me great pain mr belford said she by these instances of your humanity and yet considering the company i have seen you in i am not sorry to find you capable of such methinks i am glad for the sake of human nature that there could be but one such man in the world as he you and i know but as to your kind offer whatever it be if you take it not up you will greatly disturb me i have no need of your kindness i have effects enough which i never can want to supply my present occasion and if needful can have recourse to miss howe i have promised that i would so pray sir urge not upon me this favour take it up yourself if you mean me peace and ease of mind urge not this favour and she spoke with impatience i beg madam but one word not one sir till you have taken back what you have let fall i doubt not either the honour or the kindness of your offer but you must not say one word more on this subject i cannot bear it she was stooping but with pain i therefore prevented her 
and besought her to forgive me for a tender which I saw had been more discomposing to her than I had hoped, from the purity of my intentions, it would be. But I could not bear to think that such a mind as hers should be distressed, since the want of the conveniences she was used to abound in might affect and disturb her in the divine course she was in. "'You are very kind to me, sir,' said she, "'and very favourable in your opinion of me, but I hope that I cannot now be easily put out of my present course. My declining health will more and more confirm me in it. Those who arrested and confined me, no doubt, thought they had fallen upon the most ready method, to distress me so as to bring me into all their measures. But I presume to hope that I have a mind that cannot be debased, in essential instances, by temporal calamities. Little do those poor wretches know of the force of innate principles, forgive my own implied vanity, was her word, who imagine that a prison or penury can bring a right-turned mind to be guilty of a wilful baseness in order to avoid such short-lived evils. She then turned from me towards the window, with a dignity suitable to her words, and such as showed her to be more of soul than of body at that instant. What magnanimity! No wonder a virtue so solidly founded could baffle all thy arts, and that it forced thee, in order to carry thy accursed point, to have recourse to those unnatural ones which robbed her of her charming senses. The women were extremely affected, Mrs. Lovick especially, who said whisperingly to Mrs. Smith, We have an angel, not a woman, with us, Mrs. Smith. I repeated my offers to write to any of her friends, and told her that, having taken the liberty to acquaint Dr. H., with the cruel displeasure of her relations, as what I presumed lay nearest to her heart, he had proposed to write himself, to acquaint her friends how ill she was, if she would not take it amiss. It was kind in the doctor, she said, but begged that no step of that sort might be taken without her knowledge or consent. She would wait to see what effects her letter to her sister would have. All she had to hope for was, that her father would revoke his malediction, previous to the last blessing she should then implore. For the rest her friends would think she could not suffer too much, and she was content to suffer, for now nothing could happen that could make her wish to live. Mrs. Smith went down, and soon returning, asked if the lady and I would not dine with her that day, for it was her wedding day. She had engaged Mrs. Lovick, she said, and should have nobody else, if he would do her that favour. The charming creature sighed and shook her head. Wedding day, repeated she. I wish you, Mrs. Smith, many happy wedding days, but you will excuse me. Mr. Smith came up with the same request. They both applied to me. On condition the lady would, I should make no scruple, and would suspend an engagement which I actually had. She then desired they would all sit down. You have several times, Mrs. Lovick and Mrs. Smith, hinted your wishes, that I would give you some little history of myself. Now, if you are at leisure, that this gentleman, who, I have reason to believe, knows it all, is present, and can tell you if I give it justly or not, I will oblige your curiosity. They all eagerly, the man Smith too, sat down and she began an account of herself, which I will endeavour to repeat, as nearly in her own words as I possibly can, for I know you will think it of importance to be apprised of her manner of relating your barbarity to her, as well as what her sentiments are of it, and what room there is for the hopes your friends have in your favour for her. At first, when I took these lodgings, said she, I thought of staying but a short time in them, and so, Mrs. Smith, I told you. I therefore avoided giving any other account of myself, than that I was a very unhappy young creature, seduced from good, and escaped from very vile wretches. This account I thought myself obliged to give, that you might the less wonder at seeing a young creature rushing through your shop, into your back apartment, all trembling and out of breath, an ordinary garb over my own, craving lodging and protection, only giving my bare word that you should be handsomely paid, all my effects contained in a pocket-handkerchief. 
My sudden absence for three days and nights together when arrested must still further surprise you, and although this gentleman, who perhaps knows more of the darker part of my story than I do myself, has informed you, as you, Mrs. Lovick, tell me, that I am only an unhappy, not a guilty creature, yet I think it incumbent upon me not to suffer honest minds to be in doubt about my character. You must know, then, that I have been in one instance, I had liked to have said but in one instance, but that was a capital one, an undutiful child to the most indulgent of parents, for what some people call cruelty in them is owing but to the excess of their love, and to their disappointment, having had reason to expect better from me. I was visited, at first with my friend's connivance, by a man of birth and fortune, but of worse principles, as it proved, than I believed any man could have. My brother, a very headstrong young man, was absent at that time, and when he returned, from an old grudge, and knowing the gentleman, it is plain, better than I knew him, entirely disapproved of his visits, and having a great sway in our family, brought other gentlemen to address me, and at last, several having been rejected, he introduced one extremely disagreeable, in every indifferent person's eyes disagreeable. I could not love him. They all joined to compel me to have him. A rencounter between the gentlemen my friends were set against, and my brother, having confirmed them all his enemies. To be short, I was confined, and treated so very hardly, that, in a rash fit, I appointed to go off with the man they hated. A wicked intention, you'll say, but I was greatly provoked. Nevertheless, I repented, and resolved not to go off with him, yet I did not mistrust his honour to me neither, nor his love, because nobody thought me unworthy of the latter, and my fortune was not to be despised. But foolishly, wickedly and contrivingly, as my friends still think, with a design as they imagine to abandon them, giving him a private meeting, I was tricked away, poorly enough tricked away, I must needs say, though others who had been first guilty of so rash a step as the meeting of him was, might have been so deceived and surprised as well as I. After remaining some time at a farmhouse in the country, and behaving to me all the time with honour, he brought me to handsome lodgings in town, till still better provision could be made for me. But they proved to be, as he indeed knew and designed, at a vile, a very vile creature's, though it was long before I found her to be so, for I knew nothing of the town or its ways. There is no repeating what followed, such unprecedented vile arts, for I gave him no opportunity to take me at any disreputable advantage. And here, half covering her sweet face, with her handkerchief put to her tearful eyes, she stopped. Hastily, as if she would fly from the hateful remembrance, she resumed. I made escape, afterward, from the abominable house in his absence, and came to yours, and this gentleman has almost prevailed on me to think that the ungrateful man did not connive at the vile arrest, which was made, no doubt, in order to get me once more to those wicked lodgings, for nothing do I owe them except I were to pay them, she sighed and again wiped her charming eyes, adding in a softer, lower voice, for being ruined. Indeed, madam, said I, guilty, abominably guilty, as he is in all the rest, he is innocent of this last wicked outrage. Well, and so I wish him to be. That evil, heavy as it was, is one of the slightest evils I have suffered. But hence you'll observe, Mrs. Lovick, for you seem this morning curious to know if I were not a wife, that I never was married. You, Mr. Belford, no doubt knew before that I am no wife, and now I never will be one. Yet I bless God that I am not a guilty creature. As to my parentage, I am of no mean family. I have in my own right, by the intended favour of my grandfather, a fortune not contemptible, independent of my father if I had pleased, but I never will please. My father is very rich. I went by another name when I came to you first, 
but that was to avoid being discovered to the perfidious man who now engages by this gentleman not to molest me my real name you now know to be harlowe clarissa harlowe i am not yet twenty years of age i have an excellent mother as well as father a woman of family and fine sense worthy of a better child they both doted upon me i have two good uncles men of great fortune jealous of the honour of their family which i have wounded i was the joy of their hearts and with theirs and my father's i had three houses to call my own for they used to have me with them by turns and almost kindly to quarrel for me so that i was two months in the year with the one two months with the other six months at my father's and two at the houses of others of my dear friends who thought themselves happy in me and whenever i was at any one's i was crowded upon with letters by all the rest who longed for my return to them in short i was beloved by everybody the poor i used to make glad their hearts i never shut my hand to any distress wherever i was but now i am poor myself so mrs smith so mrs lovick i am not married it is but just to tell you so and i am now as i ought to be in a state of humiliation and penitence for the rash step which has been followed by so much evil god i hope will forgive me as i am endeavouring to bring my mind to forgive all the world even the man who has ungratefully and by dreadful perjuries poor wretch he thought all his wickedness to be wit reduced to this a young creature who had his happiness in her view and in her wish even beyond this life and who was believed to be of rank and fortune and expectations considerable enough to make it the interest of any gentleman in england to be faithful to his vows to her but i cannot expect that my parents will forgive me my refuge must be death the most painful kind of which i would suffer rather than be the wife of one who could act by me as the man has acted upon whose birth education and honour i had so much reason to found better expectations i see continued she that i who once was every one's delight am now the cause of grief to every one you that are strangers to me are moved for me tis kind but tis time to stop your compassionate hearts mrs smith and mrs lovick are too much touched for the women sobbed and the man was also affected it is barbarous in me with my woes thus to sadden your wedding-day then turning to mr and mrs smith may you see many happy ones honest good couple how agreeable is it to see you both join so kindly to celebrate it after many years are gone over you i once but no more all my prospects of felicity as to this life are at an end my hopes like opening buds or blossoms in an over-forward spring have been nipped by a severe frost blighted by an eastern wind but i can but once die and if life be spared me but till i am discharged from a heavy malediction which my father in his wrath laid upon me and which is fulfilled literally in every article relating to this world that and a last blessing are all i have to wish for and death will be welcomer to me than rest to the most wearied traveller that ever reached his journey's end and then she sunk her head against the back of her chair and hiding her face with her handkerchief endeavoured to conceal her tears from us not a soul of us could speak a word thy presence perhaps thou hardened wretch might have made us ashamed of a weakness which perhaps thou wilt deride me in particular for when thou readest this she retired to her chamber soon after and was forced it seems to lie down we all went down together and for an hour and a half dwelt upon her praises mrs smith and mrs lovick repeatedly expressing their astonishment that there could be a man in the world capable of offending much more of wilfully injuring such a lady and repeating that they had an angel in their house i thought they had and that as assuredly as there is a devil under the roof of good lord m i hate thee heartily by my faith i do 
Every hour I hate thee more than the former. J. Belford End of Letter 31